Well, church, today we're going to look at a short book called Philemon. And today's message is entitled Slaves to Sons. A little bit of backstory before we jump in. Paul was an apostle sent to the Gentiles or the non-Jews to share the gospel of Jesus. He told the Gentiles that God loves them and that God cares for them. He told the Gentiles that God invites them to believe in Jesus and be saved. And he told them that God would take everyone who trusts in Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles, and God would make them into one church, one body. Because of this message that Paul preached, many of the Jews rioted and became violent, trying to kill Paul. And as a result of this chaos, Paul was arrested, and he ends up spending several years in prison, eventually ending up in Rome for two years as a prisoner. And it's during these two years in Rome that Paul wrote four letters that are known today as Paul's prison epistles or prison letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And these are all four different books in your Bibles. The first three were written to churches, but this last one was written to an individual named Philemon. This short letter is just a single chapter, and we're going to study it together today. So let's jump in. In Philemon, verses 1 through 7, we read Paul's greeting. Philemon, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Notice here Paul calls Philemon a beloved friend and a fellow laborer. So Philemon was a man that lived his life to serve the Lord. We're not exactly sure who Aphia or Archippus are, but it's possible that Aphia is Philemon's wife. Archippus could be his son, or Archippus might be the local pastor of the church there in Colossae. Notice in verse 2, Paul greets the church in your house. It's worth noting that for the first 200 years, this was the only place the church met was in homes in each city. They didn't have buildings for churches until about the third century. And so for the first 200 years, they would find a family who would host the gathering each week, and Philemon was one of those hosts. The church, uh, the Colossian church, either the whole church met in Philemon's house or part of them met in Philemon's house. And so he played host to the local church there in Colossae. Paul continues in verse 3, and he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have towards the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. 
For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Now, pause there for a moment. Philemon, we see, is not just a friend and a fellow laborer, a fellow worker for Christ, but Philemon is loving and faithful towards Jesus. Paul mentions that Philemon is loving and faithful towards his fellow Christians. And Philemon shares his faith. The idea here is not just evangelism, although that's included, but the idea of sharing his faith, it means that every area of Philemon's life was affected by his faith in Jesus. He's not a Sunday-only Christian. And because of his lifestyle, Philemon is a brother in Christ that comforts and refreshes the body of Christ. These are great descriptions, and yet we need to address the elephant in the room. Philemon was also a slave owner. As we read Paul's letter, we see that he asks Philemon to receive back his runaway slave named Onesimus, to no longer consider Onesimus as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. But before we get to the rest of this book and story, we need to answer the question, what does the Bible say about slavery? We know that slavery has existed for thousands of years. We know in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. When God gave them the law of Moses... One of the many ways that the Israelites were to be different than the rest of the world was by how they treated their slaves. The world said that you could do whatever you wanted to a slave. They were your property. But God limited the harsh treatment of slaves, and he even required them to be set free if they were injured by their owner. During the time of Christ, slavery was a huge part of the Roman Empire. When Rome conquered a new territory, all of the people there became slaves and and shuffled throughout the empire. So we might wonder, why didn't Jesus proclaim that all slaves should be set free? It's because Jesus didn't come to improve the world, but to save the world. You see, slavery is a result of sin. And Jesus didn't come just to deal with the results of sin. He came to deal with sin itself. In fact, there was a time when Jesus went to a local synagogue. Think Jewish church service. And as they're there studying the scripture and praying together, Jesus stands up and he begins to read from the scroll of Isaiah in the Old Testament. We read in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 18, Jesus is reading, quoting from the prophet Isaiah, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord." Then Jesus closed the book, he closed the scroll of Isaiah, and he gave it back to the attendant, and Jesus sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and Jesus began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled 
in your hearing. So Jesus, he reads this prophecy about the coming Messiah, how the Messiah would preach the gospel and heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. And then Jesus declares that this prophecy is fulfilled today in me. Pretty powerful. You see, by dying on the cross to pay for our sin, Jesus met our deepest need. Bigger than the issue of poverty or slavery or broken bodies or pride, Jesus forgives our sin and he gives us a new heart. He changes us from the inside out. There on your note sheets, if you want to take notes today, your first fill in the blank is this. God is against slavery because he created every person equal. He created us in his image. And he commands that we love our neighbor as ourselves. This is so important for us to know because some people reject the Bible. They reject Christianity because they think that God is okay with slavery. It's important to note that it is true that there have been Christians that have done terrible things. It is true and important to note that there were even self-proclaimed Christians in the South that would use Scripture to support their right to own slaves, defending their choices. But we must recognize that these people were mistaken. They did not use Scripture correctly. They did not understand or represent God correctly. And they obviously failed to treat others the way they wanted to be treated. In fact, the Bible mentions buying and selling slaves among other sins in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. It says, But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. There in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10 the word translated kidnappers literally means enslavers or slave traders. And so the Bible clearly mentions slavery as a sin. Some of the slavery mentioned in the Old and New Testament was a bit different than what we might think of when we think of the idea of slavery. It was where a person would willfully become a servant of another in order to pay off a debt. It was more of an indentured servant or a bondservant type relationship. Jesus gives us a different perspective of masters and servants in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 25, where Jesus says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you talking to his disciples, talking to us today. It should not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. 
And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus calls the greatest of all the servant of all. Now, we can understand and imagine as the gospel of Jesus is being spread throughout the Roman Empire, starting in Jerusalem and then to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, that as people are coming to Christ, there are people from all different classes becoming Christians. And Paul gave the shocking words in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, when he said, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Try to imagine how shocking these words were in the ancient world. The idea that we are all equal in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, we are equal. More than that, we are united as one in Jesus. We are no longer identified as Jew or Gentile. We're no longer labeled as slave or free, but now we are brother and sister in Christ. We may wonder then why the Bible isn't more outspoken against slavery. I think it comes down to Jesus' words in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, where Jesus said, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? You see, the Bible's purpose is the gospel. Jesus' purpose is the gospel. And the church's purpose is the gospel. Therefore, on your note sheet, your next fill in the blank says, don't let the gospel become second. Don't let the gospel become second. There are many great causes in the world that we could be a part of. Topics like wars or politics, abortion or human rights. And they are incredibly important things, but they come second to the gospel. You see, laws can help limit or restrict sin, but laws cannot kill sin. The law cannot change hearts. That's why the gospel is more important, because only the gospel, only Jesus can change our hearts and change us and reform us from the inside out. Only the gospel gets to the root of the problem. As individuals, it is important that we vote. It is important that we raise awareness. As individuals, it is important that we fight for the weak and that we speak up for the silenced. But make sure that you keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus. As a church, as Open Gate, we strive to keep Jesus the main thing. We strive to teach the word so that everyone can know and follow Jesus. And we need to remember that regardless of where someone else lands on a particular issue, we are called to love them as Christ loves us. And if they are a fellow Christian, then we are one with them, united together in Jesus. 
So, with that, let's continue our study in Philemon verses 8 through 25. And now we get to read Paul's request. Paul continues in verse 8, and he says, Therefore, therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. So notice Paul calls Onesimus his son, whom he begot while in chains. You see, Paul and Onesimus somehow meet in Rome. Paul is in prison, but it's more of a comfortable prison. He has some freedom. He can have visitors, and he can write letters, and he gets to meet Onesimus, and he shares the gospel with him. He tells him what Jesus has done on the, cro- on the cross to pay for his sin, and Onesimus becomes a Christian. And so Paul calls him, my son. Paul is something like a spiritual father to Onesimus. And Paul says Onesimus was once unprofitable because he was a runaway slave. He was no longer serving Philemon, his master. And yet now, Paul says, as a believer, Onesimus has become incredibly useful both to Paul and to Philemon. Before, Onesimus was only serving himself. But now, in Christ, Onesimus is seeking to serve others and to serve the Lord. What a change of heart in Onesimus that we see here. So much so that Onesimus, he abandons his newfound freedom as a runaway, and he travels back to his previous master to restore a broken relationship. Paul says in verse 12, Paul says, I am sending him back. You, therefore, receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wished to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, but as it were, voluntary." Notice again here how much Paul cares for Onesimus. Not only does he call him his son in Christ, but Paul calls him my own heart. Paul makes it very clear he would have much rather have kept Onesimus in Rome with himself. Onesimus was a great comfort to Paul and a great help to have while Paul was limited by being in prison. Paul might have even assumed, Philemon's probably okay with this. I mean, Philemon loves me. He cares about me. Philemon lives for the gospel. Surely he's okay if I kept Onesimus as a help and friend to me. And yet Paul says, I can't. He says, I recognize that I want Philemon to have full freedom to make this choice. I don't want to force this decision on him. 
And so because Paul loved Philemon, he asks him and makes a request. Look at verse 15. Paul says, For perhaps Onesimus departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Notice that Paul is not sending Onesimus back to Philemon so that he can be a faithful slave towards his master. No, Paul is sending Onesimus back asking Philemon to receive him as a brother in Christ. No longer are they slave and master. They are united and equal in Christ. You see on your note sheet, our identity in Christ supersedes all other labels in life. Our identity in Christ supersedes all other labels in life. This is true because all other labels in life are temporary. In this life, you might be married or single. In this life, you might be a parent of young kids or an empty nester. In this life, you might be a farmer or a day laborer. But all those things are temporary. They don't carry on into eternity. In Jesus' kingdom, we are still his adopted sons and daughters forever. We are brothers and sisters in Christ forever. So make sure that you view yourself in light of this eternal identity that you have. That you belong to Jesus. That you are his that though you were a sinner and a slave to sin, you've been rescued by his grace. That is your identity. That is my identity. And that is the most important identity that we can have now or forever. You are in Christ. And nothing, not even eternity, can take that away from you. Paul continues in verse 17. Paul says, if then... If you count me as a partner, receive Onesimus as you would receive me. Consider this. How do you think Philemon would receive the Apostle Paul? We read later on that it was the Apostle Paul who also led Philemon to Christ. And so Philemon looks up to Paul as an apostle He also looks up to Paul as the man who shared the gospel with him and led him to Christ. And so if Paul visited Philemon, he's going to roll out the red carpet. He's going to throw a big feast. He's going to prepare the best guest room for this man that he loves. And Paul says, I want you to receive Onesimus as you would receive me. Don't just treat him like a brother in Christ, but treat him as your favorite brother. In Christ, a guest of honor. Look at verse 18. I love this verse. Paul says, But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. With this, it is implied that 
perhaps when Onesimus, when he fled Colossae and left Philemon, he robbed Philemon. He robbed his master. And so Paul makes a very gracious offer to repay this debt that he owes. Now, don't miss this interesting distinction. Paul does not say, forget Onesimus' debt towards you. Forget how he has harmed you or robbed you. But instead, Paul acknowledges the debt that Onesimus owes Philemon. And then he says, put it on my tab. Charge it to me. On your note sheet, we see that forgiveness is not forgetting the wrongs people have done. It's recognizing the debt was paid in full on the cross. Forgiveness is not forgetting. It's recognizing the debt was paid in full on the cross. When you forgive someone, you're not letting them off the hook. You're trusting God to deal with it. Forgiveness does not mean that it was okay they hurt you. Forgiveness does not mean that you have to trust them right away. Forgiveness does not mean that you have to be best friends. Forgiveness means that you surrender any bitterness or plans for revenge in your heart. You leave it in God's hands. We read in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, where it says, If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. We are commanded to forgive others. Your forgiveness for others should always be in light of God's forgiveness for you. So Paul promises to repay any loss Onesimus has acquired for Philemon. But then Paul adds the words in verse 19, not to mention, but I am going to mention, that you owe me even your own self besides. Paul says, by the way, while we're talking about accounts and balances here, don't forget, Philemon, that you owe me your life, implying that Paul was the one who brought Philemon to Christ. Now, I don't believe that Paul was trying to force Philemon to do something against his will. Paul made it very clear back in Philemon verses 9 and 14 where he said, Yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you. And then he says, But without your consent I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. You see, Paul genuinely wanted Philemon to be free to make his own choice about Onesimus. But Paul also was careful to remind Philemon of all these details, of the big picture. Though Onesimus owes Philemon, Philemon owes Paul. And so Paul reminds him of all of those interactions. Paul says in verse 20, Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Paul uses a play on words here. You see, the Greek word translated joy in verse 20 is the word onenemi. I don't know how to pronounce that in Greek, but I'm guessing here. Onenemi, onenemi, okay? 
which means to profit or help. But that word, onenemai, is the root from which the name Onesimus is derived. Therefore, Paul is saying, let me have profit or help from you in the Lord. While at the same time, Paul is also saying, let me have Onesimus from you in the Lord. Paul's using this language purposefully as he writes this. And so, verse 21, Paul says, Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Paul knew Philemon's heart. That Philemon loved and served the Lord in every area of his life. And so Paul was confident in Philemon's forgiveness and love towards Onesimus. Verse 22, Paul says, But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me. For I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Although Paul's been in prison for several years now, he is expecting to be soon released because of all of the people, Philemon included, who are praying for Paul's release. Paul closes the letter with three final verses, starting in verse 23. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Now, all of these men mentioned here we discussed last week because Paul also mentioned them in his closing to the letter of Colossians. We might remember that the letters of Colossians and Philemon were both delivered at the same time to the same city there in Colossae. And so Paul mentions both of these men at the end of both of them. So now we've studied this short letter, but what, why did God include this short letter in our Bibles? What does it mean for us today as Christians? So before we finish, I want us to look at two lessons for today. First, we learn a lesson from Onesimus. Before he was a Christian, he abandoned and robbed his master. After coming to Christ, Onesimus felt responsible to seek restoration with his former master. In other words, although Christ has paid your debt on the cross, you should still seek to repay those you have wronged. That's your next fill in the blank. You should still seek to repay those you have wronged. It can be very tempting to think, well, if God views me as if I've never sinned, so should everyone else. They should view me as if I'd never sinned. It's true, God views us as holy and perfect and above reproach in His sight. But it's also true that God calls us to love others. And one of the ways that we do this is for those that we have wronged, we seek to make things right to the best of our ability. It's the same idea we read in Romans 12, 18, where it says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, Live peaceably with all men. We think of the example of Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector. 
Now, if you don't remember, tax collectors in the Roman Empire were locals. So in Israel, Rome would come in and they would say, all right, Willows, we need $50,000 in taxes from among you every month. Can anybody get that for us? And anything extra that you collect, okay, Ryan, you're hired, okay? And anything extra that he collects is his salary. So if he can get 100000 a month, then he's got quite the salary. And so you can imagine a chief tax collector, this guy was hated among Israel. He was considered a, an evil, selfish person who had turned against his own nation. And yet we read in Luke chapter 19, verses 8 and 9, it says, Then Zacchaeus, he stood, and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. You see, Zacchaeus, he was putting his faith in action by saying, you know what? I want to to follow Jesus, but not just with my words, but with my actions. And I I need to go back and right all of these wrongs that I have committed. The same is true of Onesimus, who willingly returns to his master's home. And so we ask, what about you? Is there someone that you have wronged? whom you have yet to apologize or seek restoration with. If God is speaking to you, don't put it off. Don't wait. Don't make excuses. Obey Him and trust Him to lead you along the way. The next lesson we learn for today is how this story points us to Christ. You see, we, like Onesimus, have wronged our Master. We, like Onesimus, have a debt that we cannot pay. And we, like Onesimus, have an advocate fighting for us. As Paul declares Onesimus his son, so too Jesus declares you and I his adopted children. In John chapter 1, verse 12, we read, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. You see, we have been given a new relationship. As Paul proclaimed, charge Onesimus' debt to my account, so too Jesus proclaims your sin and my sin charged to His account. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, we read about Jesus who Himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We have been forgiven. As Paul sent Onesimus, sends him home saying, receive him as you would receive me. So too, Jesus sends us to the Father saying, receive them as you would receive me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and then verse 21, it says, therefore, 
If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Verse 21, for he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. That's our sins being put on his shoulders. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's Jesus' righteousness and perfection being put on us. The idea is that we don't have our own righteousness, but we have the righteousness of God imputed to our account so that when we stand before the Lord, He sees the righteousness of Christ in you, on you, covering your sin. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, he says, And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. You see, because we are in Christ God receives us as holy, blameless, and above reproach. We'll summarize it like this on your note sheet. It says, Jesus calls you his child. He credits your debt to his account and credits his righteousness to yours. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? What a beautiful analogy in that we are all like Onesimus. But the analogy goes one step further. You see, we are like Onesimus because of our disobedience and our sin and our debt and our broken fellowship. But we are also like Onesimus because before we were saved, we were useless We were unprofitable. We were not obeying our master, and so our years were wasted. But in Christ, through Christ, you and I have been made useful and profitable to the Lord, to our master. You see, as we seek to live for him, as we seek to live for our heavenly master, we can only do so by the power of his Holy Spirit. And we will become well-pleasing to God. Because we don't just say the words of a Christian, but we live the life of a Christian. Daily saying to the Lord, not my will, but yours be done. So I ask as we close, what kind of Onesimus are you? Are you the useful kind? or the useless kind. The only difference between the two is Jesus. Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you trusted in him? Or are you still trying to serve yourself as your own master? Are you still trying to be your own advocate before God? It won't work. It won't last. The only way to heaven is through Jesus. And the only way to Jesus 
is to say, Lord, I'm yours. Would you forgive me? God, would you take my debt that I owe and would you charge it to your account? God, would you take the righteousness that I could never have achieved and God, would you credit that to me? God, would you call me your child? No longer are we slaves to our sin, but we are sons and daughters in Christ. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for your word, and we're so grateful that you loved us while we were still sinners, enslaved to our own sin. Lord, I thank you that when you proclaim your gospel, you do not say, for any who can stop sinning, come to me. Lord, you don't say, for any who can fix their life and pick up the broken pieces, then come to me. But God, you simply tell us to put our faith in you as we are, broken and sinful and useless as we are. And God, you take us that way and you mark us as your own and you forgive us and you impute your righteousness to us. And then, Lord, you fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, you change our hearts and our desires from the inside out. God, you begin to make us a new creation. You begin to make us useful in your kingdom, useful in your eyes. And God, we fully recognize that we need more of you. Lord, for anybody who has not yet trusted in Jesus, I pray that right now they would simply, in the quietness of their own heart, look to you and say, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me? God, would you pay my debt? And would you make me your son, your daughter? Lord, for us, your church, would you please continue to help us to walk in the Spirit, to follow after you, to be obedient to you? God, would you help us to love you and to love others? And God, may you get all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.